Hello once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on this Monday, October 5th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com as well as bettersportspicks.com. We're a chat about a lot of things for week six of the college football season. We have a ton of notes that we're going to try to get through on today's show. Then spend a little bit of time at the tail end of the program talking about week five in the NFL We cover college football and the NFL over at ATS.io. Got a great sportsbook promotion in the state of Illinois from PointsBet for the Thursday night football game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Chicago Bears. I wrote that up just before we started recording today's podcast. So head over to ATS.io, take a look at that, and we'll be covering the other top sportsbook promotions throughout the week over at the website as well. Sportsbook reviews, industry news, Lots of picks and predictions over at ATS.io. We encourage you to check out all of our written content over there. And also check out the highlight videos and Brian Blessings videos over on our ATS YouTube page. And make sure that you subscribe to ATS Radio wherever you stream and download your podcast content. Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to podcasts, you will find ATS Radio. With that, we bring on today's first and only guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com. Kyle, how's it going today, man? Going pretty good, man. You know, busy Monday morning. Uh, you know, it's nice to be coming off a winning weekend after I've had a really rough start to the season. Uh, nice, really nice Saturday of college football and uh I have to say, in some ways, I'm really looking forward to all these other teams coming back. In other ways, I know that, you know, things are going to be really busy here. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting uh, next month or so here. Yeah, and I wrote about that in my updated power ratings over at ATS.io uh, about the, you know, teams that are coming back here, the conferences that will be getting going. Um, you got the Big Ten and the Mountain West coming up in Week 8, the Pac-12 and the MAC coming up in Week 10. So, Yeah, we'll have to do some more work on our power ratings, put some of these teams in there, get them plugged in, kind of see how they rank uh, with some of the other teams out there nationally. But of course, we do only have conference play for those leagues. So that makes it a little bit different uh, in terms of putting together our numbers and and sort of handicapping those games. But the part I want to start with here today is that you you mentioned it, and, and this is something that got me thinking about it yesterday. You had a good Saturday. I believe you were, what, six and one on the college card on Saturday. And it had been a little bit of a difficult season up to this point. 2020 has had a lot of challenges for a variety of different reasons. But the mental side of handicapping is something that you and I talk about a lot. I know it's something that you and I struggle with a lot of times as well. To kind of talk through some of those thoughts and some of those feelings after having some positive success, some good fortune, you know, maybe some regression to the mean, whatever we want to call it here on this Monday. But Let's just talk for a few minutes here about the mental side of handicapping and, and how we deal with it and you know some of the tips and tricks that we've kind of learned through several years of, of being in this business. Yeah, it's definitely um, not easy. You know, for some people it's easier than others. I think, you know, as a handicapper who's selling plays, the reason that it bothers me more if I'm running bad is because I know other people are betting my plays. You know, and and if it's just me doing it, it's not going to bother me near as much because I know there's going to be streaks, slumps, you know, bad beats, things like that. But I know that some other people can't handle that as well. And then it kind of, 
you know, I'm conscientious about my work anyways, but, you know, I feel like a uh, mental side of this, you really have to be able to grind away, not get too high, too low. Uh, this is a everyday type of thing, you know, and I, I, that's another thing that I didn't necessarily put in my notes here, but I think it's really important that if you're doing this full time, if you're really putting a lot of time into this, you are going to have to give yourself a break at some point. You know, mentally, you got to be able to check out every once in a while. And it obviously isn't going to be too often because sports are always going on. But you have to get away a little bit because, you know, 365, 365 days a year of of this is really hard to take for anybody, you know, especially if you've been in a ba- on a bad run or something like that. But I think that, you know, being able to know that you can't get too high or too low uh, you know, I know that's true. You know, that's true. It's still not easy. You know, for me, it's pretty easy to not get too high. I'm never, I'm never feeling overly confident or, uh, you know, I, I consider myself very humble, but I do get too low on myself because I'm really hard on myself. You know, I, I want to be able to win. Uh, I think that's the the first thing I would say. And, you know, I, I think that also, you know, focusing on the long term when everyone around you is talking about the short term, I, I think that's really important because, um, Look, this is a long-term business, and and if you want to be good at this, you can't think about a short-term streak. You know, most people want to say, "Well, I'm five and zero in my last five plays." That doesn't mean anything. You know, we know that. Uh, how have you done in the past few seasons or past few years? Uh, I think that betters need to keep that in mind as well. You know, don't be too high or too low based on one day, one weekend, anything like that. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said there, and I'll kind of echo those sentiments and, and sort of express them in a little bit different of a way. You know, you think back to when you're a kid and you're in school and, you know, the grading scale, you know, you got to be in the 90s, the, uh, you know, what, 93 and up range to get an A, then you kind of get the B plus down from there, B's in the 80s, stuff like that. Something that a lot of people don't realize about this business and something I think is important to know is that you have to understand what's considered good, what's considered great, what's considered bad and what's considered really bad because, I think a lot of people hear things like, you know, we'll talk about this, 55% in this business is great. And, and, you know, a lot of people will sit there and say, well, being right 55% of the time in anything isn't very good. But in this business, it is. And I think that's something that's really important to keep in mind with the mental side of this is that you're not going to be 70%. You're not going to be 80%. You're probably not even going to be 60%. Maybe over one season, you'll do it over your lifetime very, very few, if any, people can really do 60% you know, over a long sample size of you know, any sport, let alone you know, all the different sports that are going on and stuff like that. So I think that's a really important point to talk about is that you have to understand what is considered good in this business. And 52.38%, the break-even point at minus 110 VIG, you start doing better than that if you're laying, you know, minus 110 regularly. That's a good thing. And a lot of people will hear, like I said, 54, 55% and get a negative connotation because of what it means in so many other arenas, so many other venues of, you know, being graded on how correct you are. But if you're hitting 54%, that's really good. And I think that that's something that people don't really talk about enough in this business is that the goals that you have to set for yourself are pretty modest relative to a lot of other ventures. You're on the mental side when you're judging yourself based on wins and losses to say, I'm wrong 45% of the time, and that's okay because it's still really good for me to have that kind of percentage. And I think that's a really important part that gets overlooked here in this business too. 
I agree with you. I mean, you could uh, use the analogy of something like baseball. You know, somebody gets on base 40% of the time, they're really good. You know, they're, they're getting on base 40% of the time, they're going to be near the top of the league. Uh, you could see that as a failure because, I mean, you're not getting on base most of the time. But, you know, in this business, like you said, if you say you're 55%, if you say you're 54.8%, somebody's going to say, eh, well, that's all right. You know, I guess that's okay. That's really good if it's a large sample size. I think it also hurts there's so many people online, you know, in the, the Twitter sphere and things like that, that that say, you know, follow me, I'm going to get 65%, I'm going to get 70%. People then start thinking that's actually true or somebody can actually do that in the long run when it really isn't. So I hope that, you know, if we can get something across to, to listeners, it's that, you know, you shouldn't be aiming for anything like that because you're never going to get to it anyways in the long run. You know, obviously anybody could get 60 some percent in some short sample size but you know long term that's not going to happen I, a couple other things i wanted to say is you know i think if you really want to be good at this in the long run you have to treat this like a business and not just fun you know i think if you just think that this is only fun and i want to place bets just because the game's on tv that's okay i'm not saying it's necessarily wrong some people want to do that but it's harder to make it profit if that's the only way you're betting on games you know you want to watch north carolina and duke on uh, national TV and college basketball. So you're going to place a bet on that game. First of all, we know that that line is going to be tighter than most of the others. And second, you know, if you're not treating this like a business and, and, um, you know, being serious about this, I think you're going to have a lot worse ROI because there's going to be too many random bets on games just, just for action, you know, random bets for action, um, you know, here and there isn't necessarily a terrible thing, but in the long run, if that's all you're doing, it's going to be hard to win. I don't think you're going to win. And that's, uh, and another thing I want to say is we've said this many times in the past, but specializing in a sport or conference, if you don't have enough time for everything is a great idea. I know some listeners of your show here, um, really have done that quite a bit. I've had some people reach out to me and say, you know, I, I follow the big West in college basketball, or I, you know, follow, um, conference USA or something like that. It's really helpful. You know, if you live in that area, you think you might be able to have an edge and something like that. And you have a full-time job. Look, I expect most people that are listening to this do not get to do this full-time. You know, they're, they're not in the same boat that you and I are in, but they still want to make money betting on games. So that's a great way to look at it too. What you said about treating this as a business, or if you want to do it for fun, you have to have that understanding again, of what you want to achieve, you know, of the goals that you are striving for when it comes to betting on sports. And you know, it, it makes it a lot easier if you're doing this for fun and you're betting 10, 20, 25 bucks on a game, whatever the case may be. And it doesn't impact your day-to-day life. You're not taking away from spending on something else from an entertainment budget or, you know, buying groceries or, or something like that to bet on sports. You know, if, if you want to do this seriously, then you have to have funds that are, you know, explicitly for betting on sports. If you want to do this for fun, then, you know, maybe you go to a sports book on a Saturday and, you know, just use that as, as your entertainment fund. And, you know, you're just going to watch games, you know, in that environment or something like that. It is really important to have a well-defined, you know, set of, of things that you're hoping to achieve when you're betting on sports. That's something I think will help the mental side, because if you're trying to use this as a supplement or you want to get into this business for a living or something like that, it's much more difficult to stay above the fray on the mental side. So I think that's a a really good point. And one other point that I'll make here is that, you know, for me, and because I cover so many different sports markets, you know, now at ATS.io and 
and still to a degree over at Bang the Book where I previously did a lot of my work, I have to know a lot of sports markets and and I wouldn't be comfortable or wouldn't be confident betting in some of them. But I have to stay organized. I have to have my research, know where I'm going for research, try to block out certain times to write about these different sports markets and all these different types of things. Being organized helps because this can be an overwhelming business to begin with. You think about a college basketball Saturday in November where you still have college football, you got the NFL the next day, you've got NHL and NBA, you know, obviously in a non-COVID year. We're talking about what? 200, 225, 240 games sometimes on the board. It can be very, very overwhelming, not to mention if you're a soccer better or something like that. So being organized, you know, not being frantic, you know, not having to rush to do something because there's nothing worse than feeling rushed, making a bet on a game, and then it loses and you sit there and think, well, maybe I shouldn't have played that game at all. Or maybe I should have prioritized that game early in the process. Being organized helps you have the right mindset to go out there and and tackle all these different games that are on the board. And that's something that helps me from a mental standpoint too. If I know that I was organized, I did my research, I did my homework, I did my handicapping, and a game still doesn't fall my way, that's better than putting in some hurried bet or something like that. Absolutely. You know, I think that... Uh, similarly for me, you know, if I feel like I'm forcing a play, you know, I feel like I just have to play something, you know, uh, clients or somebody really wants me to play something, even though I don't really like it, I force a play and it doesn't win. That's really frustrating for me. I, I really don't like that at all. I'd much rather lose a play that I feel strongly about than one that I feel like I just kind of had to put something out there. So that's something that I've really tried to change over the the years too. Is that I, if I release it, I I really like it. You know, I'm going to bet every game I release, but I want to really like that play and and actually feel like I have an edge. Um, you know, I, I know that you mentioned in the notes that you know we could talk some about our shortcomings and also what what worked for us. I'll start off by saying some of my shortcomings. I already said that I I put a lot of pressure on myself to win. That's that's uh that's a shortcoming for myself. You know, I look. We know that fifty five percent is great, like you said. So you're going to lose forty five or forty six percent of the time. So you need to know going into it that you're going to have a lot of failure. Um, and you have to be okay with that if you want to be in this long term. I think my biggest weakness that I've really struggled with is I really can doubt myself when I'm slumping. You know, even as a professional, I, I know that this is going to happen, but it's hard to trust my numbers and my knowledge when I'm slumping. Sometimes I'll leave off plays that I really should have taken just because I feel like, well, you know, everything's losing right now. So why should I, why should I play this? And that's pretty frustrating for myself, you know, because over the years, I feel like I should know at this point that, you know, I'm going to have those peaks and valleys and things like that. So that's something I struggle with. Um, You know, as far as as far as other shortcomings, I think, you know, it's also hard for me to uh, get away sometimes. You know, it's it's hard to check away from this business. You know, when you when you're with family, when you're out doing something else, I, I still have the phone out. I'm still looking at something, you know, and, th- and that's difficult because you know, even my wife will say sometimes, hey, you know, you worked all day. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's and I did. So, you know, she has a good point. It's It's one of those things where sometimes you have to just be able to check away from it so that you're not just, you know, driving yourself insane. No, absolutely. That That's an excellent point. You know, you got to try and, and find that balance. And, and that balance is not hard to, or not easy to achieve at all. And it's something that, you know, I still struggle with. And, you know, both of us working from home too, you know, you, you never 
fully leave work. You know, if something needs to be done, you can go and do it. And, and even now in the smartphone generation, you know, I, I went out of town um, on Saturday for the afternoon and, um, you know, there I am, one of our, uh, one of our, you know, affiliate content providers sent me something to post over at Bang the Book. I got stopped by a train, like the slowest moving train in the entire world. And I was able to put the article up, you know, while I'm sitting there waiting on that train. And it's just, it sort of speaks to, you know, again, if you work from home or you, know, you, you are in some line of work where you can work remotely, you never leave work because it's right there on your phone, in your office, whatever else. That balance is extremely difficult to achieve. I know you and I talk about that all the time. Not really, even now, you know, we've both been in this business. Shit, we've been doing this podcast together for what, seven, eight years now. And still, it's been seven or eight years of us saying the same thing of trying to find that balance, trying to get away. It is a difficult thing. And and, and the, the part about self-confidence is another thing that's very, very challenging. And you know, I've been very open and honest about mental health issues that I've had in the past with regards to depression. And naturally, I'm just kind of a pessimistic person, which, you know, when you talk about and, and you do a lot of gambling for a living, it's really not <laughs> a great mix at all. But, you know, that is something that, that is a challenge is, you know, I, I've got this perfectionist complex in an industry where it's impossible to be perfect. And it's such a hard thing to deal with day in and day out, especially when you don't have the results. And you know, as you said, you're selling plays. I'm posting a lot of content that maybe people are following or maybe people are fading. You know, I, I don't really know, but that is really hard. And, and it's an ongoing challenge for a lot of people that are out there in this business. It's a very, you know, uh, solitary lifestyle that we kind of have. Fortunately, we're able to do these podcasts and have networks of friends and stuff like that, that we can talk to that understand the business. But you know, it is something that if you make a concerted effort, and I do know there are some people that started listening to us that are now either doing this as a supplement or trying to do it, you know, for a living, you've got to understand going in that there are a lot of mental difficulties with this business, along with trying to handicap and bet the right sides, get the best of the number that you can, all of that. It's not an easy living and it's not cut out for everyone. So going back to what you talked about previously, is this a business for you or is this fun for you? And by you, I mean the listeners, it's something you've got to know going in because otherwise you can torture yourself quite a bit. Absolutely. I, I think that, um, you know, it's difficult. I, I think that the progress I've made is that at least now I understand that I kind of have to get away sometimes, you know, sometimes it's hard to actually do it, but for several years I kind of just tried to never get away, you know? So now it's, at least now I understand that, I've got to try to take some time where I'm not tied to the the laptop. I'm not tied to my phone. Uh, you know, finding that time can be difficult, but still, you know, it's important to understand that if you're trying to do this full time, that's going to be a necessary thing. As far as, you know, a positive, I guess we should probably switch over to something positive, right? So, uh, you know, what works for me, other tips, what I think would, would really be helpful. I think one of my strengths is understanding the marketplace well. You know, you can win in sports betting without knowing every single player or coach or anything like the back of your hand. I think knowing the personnel is really helpful. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I don't think it's an absolute must, though. And if you don't understand how the marketplace works, you're going to lose. I think that I know a lot of people who know a lot about a certain sport that go into this. They're really knowledgeable. They, they, you know, they're walking encyclopedia when it comes to college football or college basketball or something, but they can't win in betting. 
um, you know, because they don't understand the marketplace. They don't understand, you know, um, the point spreads, the equalizer, you know, um, trends you got to stay in front of. I think it's really important to know, like, how does the marketplace work? Who does the market like? Who does the market not like? Who is the market going to want to bet overs on? Who's the market going to want to bet unders on? I think that's really more important than most people realize, you know, understanding and following the market, just going back and looking at a live odds feed and saying, okay, here's where this line moved. This is where it started next week. You know, based on this team playing well, they're probably going to get bet on again, you know, no matter what they open the number at things like that help you with entering the market. Well, Uh, we always talk about, you know, entering the market and getting a good price. I have to tell you, yesterday was a perfect example for me of, you know, how important it is to really get a good number. And I didn't get the best of the numbers yesterday, and it hurt me. I had two pushes yesterday. Uh, one was the Ravens, minus 14. I could have had 13 earlier in the week. That one frustrated me. You know, I should have had that one before it went to 14. The other was the NBA under 219, and it went to 220 after I bet it. So that's frustrating. And then I lost a game by half a point. I won a game by half a point. So you're sitting there going, wow, a lot of these really come down to the end. So that's where the understanding of the place line's going to go. It's something that I'm usually pretty good at. Obviously, you can't always be right on something like that. And I can't wait until, you know, uh, tip off of a game to release a play because people need to be able to bet it. So uh, even if I do think it's going to go up on an under or something like that, there is a time that I need to release a play by. But understanding the marketplace, I think, is really uh, vitally important. I think it is, too. And I think that's a good segue to transition sort of away from, I guess, maybe apply this mental handicapping thing in a little bit of a different context with some of the power ratings updates that we've made here for this week. Because, again, something that helps you on the mental side is understanding that the only thing you can control is the number that you get in that game. That's it. That's the only thing that you can control. Once that game goes off, you are not playing in it. You are not coaching it. This is not a Madden simulation. You can't choose when timeouts are used or anything like that. All you can do is get the best possible number that you can get. And then, of course, you'll hope that it winds up playing out. Figure out, well, is this number good? Is this number bad? If I didn't have some sort of evaluation process of these teams. And I have a built-in series of checks and balances, a three-step process to adjusting my power ratings, comparing to the closing line, studying the box score. And we have a lot of interesting box scores to talk about here in a minute. And then also taking a look at what those numbers come out as on Sunday to ensure that I'm not too far off of the market. The BYU Cougars are a team that stands out for both of us. You bumped BYU eight points. I up BYU nine points. These are adjustments that we don't make after seeing a few games of data. This is maybe an adjustment we make after week one and say, you know what? Maybe that quarterback is a massive upgrade for this team or that quarterback coupled with a coaching change, something like that is a massive upgrade for this team. We don't make an adjustment like this, this deep into the season, as effed up as this season already has been. But man, you and I had to make some... Yeah, and and BYU is a team that I don't want to bet against, but my numbers keep saying, wait, I'm not high enough on BYU. And I'm I'm trying to correct that because, you know, I've watched BYU enough to know I don't want to bet against them. You know, so I'd rather bet on them or pass, although... You know, some of the opponents they're playing and the numbers that they're laying right now make it really hard to do that. So uh, BYU, a team that really, I think, has impressed everybody a lot this year. And, um, you know, I think we're, both of us are trying to play catch up. 
Well, another team, I only moved them up one and a half. You moved them up three. And I want to get your thoughts on the notes that you sent over to me today. That's the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. And the thing that you mentioned here is that you said, I want to be higher on this team. And I think this is an important distinction with regards to power ratings this deep into the season is that now we're at the point where I think we've seen enough of some of these teams that we do want to be higher on the on them than the market does because we see reasons to play on them. And ironically enough, BYU that we just talked about, I actually want to play on UTSA a little bit. So my line's 31 in that game, lower than the market of 34, which is coming down a little bit. But I purposely didn't adjust UTSA because I want to see value on a team like that. You're doing the same here now with Tulsa. Yeah, I really like Tulsa's defensive line. In that first game against Oklahoma State, I wasn't sure to think uh, sure if it was going to be Oklahoma State's offensive line was a lot worse than I thought, or if Tulsa's defensive line was a lot better. I watched nearly the entire game of Tulsa and UCF. I had Tulsa in that game. Had even bet Tulsa just a little bit on the money line. I was, I, I wish I had bet more on them instead of uh, so much smaller, but, you know, obviously that's easy to say afterwards, you know, UCF's offensive line was struggling badly with Tulsa in that game. They were really getting to the quarterback Uh, UCF. I know it's something you mentioned in the notes too, just a penalty on nearly every play false start offsides constantly. Yeah. It was really pretty ridiculous. Uh, There was some rain in that game. There were conditions that made it pretty sloppy, But Tulsa was really impressing me. And at the end of the game, Tulsa was running the football when UCF knew it was coming and UCF couldn't stop them. You know, Tulsa was just running the football really well. Uh, Smith's a pretty good quarterback for them. I think Tulsa could continue to be a pretty good underdog. The thing that concerns me is that now they just beat UCF. So everybody's going to be higher on Tulsa. So I wanted to kind of upgrade them more than I thought most people would. Because I want to be high on Tulsa, I don't want to bet against them because I I believe in what they're doing right now. I think they actually are better than what they've been in previous seasons. Yeah, and and therein lies the difference. You know, I did adjust them, but not to the degree that you did. So that sort of speaks to, you know, looking for play on teams here at this point in the year. Teams that we do, you know, feel like we want to try and have some line value on. I think Tulsa is one that makes sense, too, because we know offensively, They're usually pretty competent, but to see them playing better defensively, I think that's a good step forward for them. By the way, UCF, 45 penalties in three games uh, for the Golden Knights here so far. What about some of the other teams that you bumped up a little bit in your power ratings this week? So Georgia State, I moved up three points. I was too low on them. This is me trying to catch up with the marketplace. I don't want to be so low on Georgia State. Um, I, I think that team's quite a bit better on offense than what I expected. So moved them up three points. Virginia Tech up two and a half. And I have to say, this is a team that I'm having a really hard time power rating. You know, they're missing so many guys every week. I think they've really played pretty well in two games, especially considering that they've had things like that. Uh, Virginia Tech's running game has been really good. You know, I I think that really impresses me. Virginia Tech has not been good running the football in recent seasons, and that's been one of the reasons I haven't really liked them very much. They've been running the football well so far this year. Good test for them this coming weekend, certainly. Some other teams that I moved, uh, USF down three and a half. USF's a mess right now. Really, really ugly game the other day between them and Cincinnati. Uh, Texas Tech down two. I don't know if Bowman's going to be playing in the future. I watched quite a bit of that game, too. Uh, Columbia, Columbia, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. He was bad in the first half. The second half, he was very good against Kansas State. So uh, I'm not sure what we'll get out of them in the future. Bowman is certainly an upgrade, though, at quarterback. Uh, Texas A&M, I moved down four points. 
I think at this point, there's two things that I can say that I'm pretty confident about. Um, I don't think Kellen Mons as good as a lot of people think he is. And I, I know Jimbo Fisher is not as good of a coach as most people think. So uh, I moved Texas A&M down four points. Yeah, a couple others that I moved up. I moved UAB up three points. They've been playing a little bit better than I expected without Johnson. Johnson's not a great quarterback by any means. But I was low in that game, uh, UTSA and UAB last weekend. UTSA did cover, although if you look at the box score, that one was a little bit misleading there. So I bumped UAB up. I moved Coastal Carolina up two and a half points. Their offense is playing extremely well this season. So I gave them a little bump. Oklahoma State, I moved back up two and a half. Spencer Sanders is not playing. Uh, probably comes back this week, so I may have to adjust them up a little bit more. Uh, but Oklahoma State's playing very well, running the football well. Defense is playing well. So I gave them the benefit of the doubt here with a little adjustment up. I also moved down USF, although I was already a little bit lower in the market uh, on USF. I looked at some of their box scores earlier on in the season against teams like the Citadel. They weren't very impressive there. Their passing game is pathetic. I mean, it's beyond terrible. So I bumped them down another two and a half. I dropped Oklahoma down three and a half this week. Um, you know, offensively, I think they're fine. I think Spencer Rattler is going to be okay. Their defense is a train wreck. I mean, they can't tackle. They can't hit anybody. You know, they gave up a bunch of points to Kansas State. They were minus four in turnover margin. Some big plays in that game. Uh, this week, they take on Texas, who I also moved down a point and a half after another disappointing performance from them. Uh, A&M went down three. Baylor went down three. I guess I just don't like the state of Texas uh, on today's show. One other one I moved down a little bit is Kansas. I moved Kansas down two and a half points. I know we're going to talk about them here in a minute, but they are worse than I thought they were going to be. And I don't know if there's an end in sight for that because – they just don't have the talent. And quite frankly, I don't know why the hell Les Miles came back to coaching to take that job. Yeah, I don't know either. I think that uh, Kansas is a team that I've moved down to. I moved them down two points, and I think that might not have been enough. So I'll, I'll be looking at it, taking a look at that one a little bit more. Um, I don't want to bet on Kansas. I think that's probably a good segue. The state outgained Kansas 593 to 193 in their last game. That was without Spencer Sanders, who, look, Spencer Sanders is definitely an upgrade over who's playing at quarterback right now. Ellingsworth has not really done that bad, uh, but Spencer Sanders is a good player. Kansas coach after the game, Les Miles says, I didn't think we were overwhelmed. I think we should just continue the course. We'll be fine. I mean, I don't know what overwhelmed would mean if you, you know, you're outgained 593 to 193. Um, I think that game was at home too, right? Kansas was at home for that game. So you're on your home field. Oklahoma State comes in not uh, not with their starting quarterback and outgains you by 400 yards. And you say, yeah, just continue the course. We're doing good. We're not overwhelmed. So I don't know. That wouldn't encourage me very much if I was a Kansas fan. No, no, definitely not. I mean, it, it, it as bad as this sounds, and maybe this is kind of presumptuous for me to say, it feels like Les Miles is just care there to get a paycheck. And I mean, this is going to bring back, this is a discussion we could obviously have for another day, but said this probably a year since we've been doing this podcast, dating back to when it was on bang the book radio. If you're Kansas, why do you not just install the triple option? Why, why do you not just install some gimmick offense that gives you a chance to go five and seven or six and six every year? You know, you pull a Georgia tech, where Georgia Tech did have some good years. I mean, I, I don't know if it would work out to that degree in the Big 12, 
but just run this gimmick offense, recruit specifically for that, because you're not getting the same level of recruits out there in the plain states that Texas and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and all these places are getting. And hell, I mean, it's national recruiting for the powerhouses, not like Georgia and Florida and Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson, LSU, so on and so forth. Just do something dramatically different and give yourself a chance. Because if you're going to try and stack up 11 on 11 with anybody else in that conference, you are going to suck. It's that simple. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Kansas has tried going with the conventional way for a long time now, and it's not working. So why, why not try something else? It's kind of like in basketball, if you if you say, we're going to play as fast as we possibly can, but we're not nearly as talented as the other team. Well, good luck. You know, you can keep doing that. You're just going to lose by a lot. So, I mean, Kansas, you know, they continue to do the same thing. And like you said, uh, we don't know if Les Miles is just there for a paycheck or not. We do know that we're there to get a paycheck. So it wouldn't be anything new for that team, really. I just, I look at it as the AD or, you know, the president or the boosters or something like that. And and I just go, you're going to have some level of self-awareness. I I just feel like, why does Les Miles want to come coach Kansas football? Like what, what is driving this guy to come and coach at this program that really hasn't been any good since what Todd Reesing and, and, you know, Mark Mangino were there. I, I just, I don't know. You're going to have some level of self-awareness and go, look, I mean, we're we're not the kind of team that Les Miles probably wants to coach. But you get a big name and you hear, oh my God, Les Miles and all those years with LSU. And you think, you know, maybe he'll bring that magic there. But guess what? You don't recruit the same way that LSU does. So I don't know. But speaking of Kansas, there is another team in Kansas that's on the upswing. In fact, their head coach just got an extension this morning. And you got an interesting note here about their special teams to this point. Yeah, Kansas State's blocked a punt in three straight games, so uh, the Kansas State punt block team is definitely still a thing. Um, I've I've been pretty impressed with them the last couple of weeks. You know, Texas Tech is a tough offense. They they did you know not have to face Bowman, so that certainly helped. But Kansas State played pretty well, especially coming off a of upset win of Oklahoma. You know, that wasn't a great spot for them. I want to say another interesting stat. We'll leave the state of Kansas for this one. East Carolina scored 29 points in last weekend's game. I was looking at this one a little bit closer last night. They had zero touchdowns on offense, scored 29 points, a pick six, fake field goal touchdown, and block punt return. Um, You know, zero touchdowns on offense, 3.7 yards per play for East Carolina. I don't think anybody's going to say Georgia State's exactly, you know, I mean, this is not Alabama's defense. This is not Clemson or Ohio State's defense. So um, I know some people like Holton Aylers, and he has been good at times, but East Carolina's offense is a bit hard to figure out, getting only 3.7 yards per play. Uh, good luck figuring out that ECU versus USF game this weekend. That thing's a dumpster fire. <laughs> I, I think I actually have that game pick them. The market's four and trending up toward four and a half, which I think is a reflection of that awful box score last week. But if people want to dig into what South Florida has been doing here recently, uh, that's not particularly good either. And in fact, in their game over the weekend against Cincinnati, which was a complete and utter shit show throughout anyway, nine turnovers, eight interceptions, five of them from South Florida, who used three different quarterbacks and four different players through a pass in that game. So that that may be this week's UTEP and UL Monroe kind of game, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, um, I don't want to bet ECU, but uh, you know, if you want to lay points with USF, go ahead. I, I certainly don't want to. 
No, me neither. And uh, a few other games, you know, we had a lot of interesting box scores here. Uh, one point being that Duke only turned the football over once last week at 12. The pre- I'm going to talk about this one. I, this one fascinates the hell out of me. Kentucky last week, they lose to Ole Miss. They miss an extra point in overtime. Kentucky was 14 of 18 passing for like 154 yards or something like that. 408 rushing yards on 56 carries and they lost the game. I've never seen that kind of offensive efficiency in a losing effort, I don't think, ever in my lifetime. Yeah, Kentucky's really found ways to lose a couple games this year. They really had a chance against Auburn. I know the final score doesn't really indicate that, but they did. Um, I think Kentucky's a little bit better than some people think here. Um, I lean toward Kentucky this week, uh, depending on the number here, but um, you know, 408 yards rushing is pretty interesting. I do think Kentucky will continue to want to run the football a lot because I think you and I probably agree that Wilson is not very, very good passer. You know, 14 of 18 is a good game, but I don't think they want want him throwing very often. Uh, the fact that they couldn't slow Ole Miss down at all is kind of concerning. I thought the Kentucky defense would be better. Yeah, that's what worries me. You know, they've traditionally been a very good defensive team, and and this is something too. You know, I mean, you lose. A few years worth of NFL draft picks sort of back to back to back and defensively they've certainly had some issues there uh so I think that was probably the favorite one for me as far as box scores go uh what about you outside of the East Carolina game which is I mean that's an eye-opener for sure yeah I mean uh, some of the others that you noted were pretty good um you know you, you sent over some notes to me I like that Memphis and SMU game it should have been higher scoring 57 points with uh 1050 yards six turnovers most of them in the opponent's side um don't don't want to just run and bet the under based on what you saw in that game because the total in the mid 70s did make sense there uh Pitt and um NC State was probably the other misleading one that I think really stands out because Pitt um, 6.5 yards per play to NC State's only 5.3 yards per play. NC State was two for two on uh, fourth down. Pitt was two for three. Uh, Pitt had 13 penalties for 125 yards. You'll find that in a lot of these misleadings, it's either turnovers were an issue or penalties. Um, I think that one was really uh, pretty, stands out quite a bit. I will say Pitt is not a team I like laying points with, and I kind of wish I had gone against them again last week. I don't think Pickett's really the answer at quarterback. You know, I know that they move the ball pretty well, but NC State's defense is not very good. I think Pitt's a good underdog or maybe laying a short number, but I don't want to lay very many points with them. Tennessee and Missouri, another one I had, 35 to 12 Tennessee, 5.7 yards per play to 5.5 for Tennessee or for Missouri. Tennessee was four for four on fourth down. Uh, Missouri negative one turnover margin. So that game wasn't as much uh, lopsided as it looks. Yeah, those are a few good ones there. I got a couple other ones here. And the Pitt game, by the way, I did move Pitt up in my power ratings despite losing that game uh, because, you know, again, they won the box score, and those are things that you want to take a look for. few interesting ones here that are kind of under the radar. I thought this one was kind of fascinating. I know you're a big tempo guy. You take a look at that a lot, being a big totals player. Arkansas State had the ball for 18 minutes and 39 seconds over the weekend. They ran 63 plays in that time. So they were trailing most of the game. There is that. They kind of had to hurry up a little bit. Uh, But they ran a lot of plays in a short period of time. Charlotte, on the flip side, had the ball for 38 minutes in their game and only scored 17 points. So not a whole lot of efficiency there. And the last one, and I think this is maybe the most pertinent one for a lot of our listeners out there because it does come from a major conference. 
Boston College had 56 pass attempts in their game against North Carolina over the weekend, only ran the ball 19 times. That is not Boston College football in a traditional sense. So that's something that we may need to make an adjustment to. No, and that's a great point. I, I was really surprised to see that. You know, Boston College, certainly they have the the transfer at quarterback that we know is an upgrade, but I didn't know they were going to want to throw it that often. And really, while they were behind last week, they weren't behind by so much that they couldn't have run the football at all. So it does show that they want to throw the football quite a bit. To your point about Arkansas State, Arkansas Arkansas State is second in tempo so far this year behind only North Texas. So and Arkansas new, State played right? really I mean, quick. They were never that fast, were they? They were pretty fast, but they've they've definitely gone faster than what they have in past years. Which is interesting because it's still you know the same head coach and everything. I mean, right. at least they're done doing the two quarter thing right yeah i think they should uh, you know this is a arkansas state team that really it, it appears the offense isn't really the problem you know they need to be able to stop somebody well i mean you know that, that's all it's like the basketball thing you know you think about some of those teams like in the socon where they're so bad defensively and they want to play games that are 90 possessions like it, it's yeah. it's nuts it, it's crazy but i don't know i mean we're not coaches i guess so what do we know right right yeah i don't know i mean um, Blake Anderson in general, I think, is a pretty good coach, and and they probably will be able to get away with uh, playing quick against a lot of their opponents, but that was a pretty poor showing against Coastal. Speaking of fourth down success, I believe I saw, and I, I should have double-checked this as we were talking here, but I think Louisiana Monroe was 5-for-5 five five on fourth down last week. So wow. no, maybe given how their offense is, maybe they should just play on fourth down uh, on every play, but Speaking of that, and you know, talking about fourth down success rates and things of that sort, we did have a listener email reaching out asking us to talk about some regression signs that some teams have out there. You know, we usually do kind of a, a play on and fade type of segment, uh, but we've been talking about a lot of other different things here while waiting to get sample sizes worthy of talking about some of those different things. But we do have some regression signs here, some negative and some positive. Yeah, and I will say that it'll be easier to get these regression numbers when we get a little bit farther into the season. A lot of teams have only played a couple games, so I try to take teams that have played a few games here. But uh, to get us started here, USF, opponents have only scored on 10 out of 14 trips into the red zone. Again, they're going to get worse here. Texas State, a team that I'd like to to play overs with if I was going to play anything, because they're going to play quick. I think their offense is better this year, and their defense is not as good as what it looks so far. Um, on the positive side, Louisiana. 16th in the nation in yards per play, 48th in points per game. Obviously, part of this, they don't play that fast, but that's not all of it. They've turned it over on four out of 12 trips into the red zone so far this year. So the Ragin' Cajuns are going to improve offensively. Um, They might have a total a little bit too low here at some point in the near future as well. Yeah, red zone success is a really good one for looking at in terms of regression signs. Turnover margin, also a good one, but everyone kind of looks at that Look at red zone success. I think that's really important. Also, things like third and fourth down conversion rates. For example, through two games here for Auburn, playing against Kentucky and Georgia, the opposition 21 for 33 on third down. You don't really think about that with Auburn. You don't really think about that with SEC defenses. Uh, Ole Miss and Missouri actually both pretty bad in terms of stopping third downs. Tulsa, you mentioned a team that you want to play on, and maybe this just kind of fits perfectly. They're just 6 of 27 on third down to this point. One of those games against Oklahoma State, who has only allowed seven first downs and 43 third down attempts. So Oklahoma State's third down defense 
one I would expect to regress, especially as they face better teams here in the Big 12. So at that point, it's kind of about deciding how you want to frame it. You see a stat with that or like that for Oklahoma State, opponents 7 of 43 on third down. Does that mean you're going to fade Oklahoma State? Does that mean you're going to play overs in Oklahoma State games? You know, that's where you kind of have to, to do the handicapping. You've done the research. Now you just have to figure out where to apply it. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised by that stat. Um, I hadn't caught that one. I will say I think Oklahoma State's defense is a lot better this year than they've been in the past, but they're not near as good as they look so far, obviously. Yeah, one other one, uh, speaking of turnovers specifically, fumble luck is one that you really want to take a look at. I know that's something that you and I talk about quite a bit, and we'll have more of these regression stats and metrics as we move forward here. The problem is that we're dealing with some teams have played one game, some have played two, some have played four you know, it's kind of all over the place. So it's tough to talk about a lot of these different metrics here. Um, but you know, the one thing I guess I will mention, you mentioned Louisiana's offense and how they've moved the football effectively, haven't been great in the red zone. Uh, we'll see what that total looks like market-wide for Coastal and Louisiana this week. But I think that's uh, that's one on the short list for an over for sure. Yeah, I would definitely lean that way. Um, Coastal looks like an over team to me based on their efficiency on offense. Coastal still has defensive problems. I would think Louisiana could move the ball pretty easily. All right, so we take a look here for a highlight video on ATS Radio at the Thursday night game between Tulane and Houston. Houston up to a touchdown favorite at some places now, total in the 58 and a half range. And Kyle, this is a very difficult handicap. I'm joined, of course, by Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. It's a very difficult handicap because we've got three data points for Tulane already. Houston hasn't played a game yet. And it's You know, Houston, if you go back and look at last year when these two played each other, I have to say, you know, usually we talk about bad beats. Um, probably the luckiest. Oh, I cover. remember that one. Probably the luckiest cover I've ever had in my lifetime was Tulane last year against Houston. It was the wrong side, definitely. Um, Houston blows a huge lead in that game. Tulane looked like they were going to win but not cover, but then they break a long touchdown uh, to cover. Now, Tulane, the question is about Tulane. Is this the team that played really bad in the second half against Navy? Which, really, right now, that's pretty confusing. I mean, what happened in the second half of that game? Or is this the team that put up 66 points against Southern Miss? Now, Southern Miss is no defensive juggernaut. We know that. But 66 points is still pretty impressive. I think Houston revenge is going to be talked about quite a bit in this game. I think when you listen to a lot of previews, you're going to hear, oh, Houston, this is a great revenge spot. I think that might be a little bit overblown. In general, I think revenge is overblown in football. Uh, College basketball, when you play a team in the second game in the same season, I think revenge is a lot more powerful. Um, Houston hasn't played a game this year, so there's nothing to go off like we said. Tulane has 6.44 yards per carry so far this season. When I did my power ratings for Houston before the season, when I was looking at strengths and weaknesses, I thought Houston would be their secondary. Houston's weakness was going to be their defensive line. Not a, a problem that you want to have when you're about to play Tulane. I know Tulane has an injury at running back. They have several good running backs, though. This is a Tulane team that is, that is built to run from that uh, scheme of Willie Fritz. So I think Tulane will be able to run the football here. I see uh, Houston's offensive line is another question mark. They allowed 35 sacks last year. Are they going to be able to shore that up? Tulane's strength on defense is definitely their defensive line. They should be able to get pressure on Houston here. I think Toon is a good enough quarterback, not a great quarterback. The guys around him at skill positions for Houston are very solid. So um, I think there'll be some points in this game. I'm going to lean to the over here. As far as the side, um, this is a little higher than my my line is for this game. 
Um, if I had to pick, I'd probably take um, Tulane here. I just I don't know what to expect from Houston. However, I don't want to bet the side. I know I won't bet the side in this game. I will consider the over. I think Houston's going to play with tempo. Tulane's playing quicker this year than they have in in previous seasons. 23 seconds between snaps is pretty quick, and that's what they're at so far. So they want to keep playing fast. I think there could be some points in this game. Yeah, I think so, too. I think there could definitely be some points in this game. And, uh, you know, from our Thursday guest, Brad Powers, he had talked about this prior to last week's games. The team that had played a game against a team that hadn't played a game, 3-14-1 against the spread. And the thought process is, well, that team's been preparing for you, and now they have all this film that they can dissect. So the teams that haven't been playing have just kind of gone out there. You don't know what you're going to get from them, but they know what they're going to get from you. So that's the question here for Houston is, can their defense hold up? Because they've had a lot of chances to look at film on this two-lane team. This one's moving away from my number. My number is actually more like two and a half, three on this game. But I do think that, again, you know, we talk about some of the leak into the marketplace. I think this is one of them where we see this stat that teams that haven't played a game yet have done very well against teams that have. And I think it's kind of inflating this number to a degree. With that being said, I think Dana Holgerson's a decent coach. Last year, there was a lot of turnover and tumult within the program. You know, Derek King opted out early on in the season so that he could transfer, winds up going to Miami. Houston had some guys that didn't really want to play for Holgerson. He kind of got rid of a lot of those guys now. So I guess thinking about it that way, it wouldn't surprise me if Houston is better than I anticipate, but I'm not betting a side here on this game. I agree with you that I think the thought would be to take this one over because no matter how much film you watch, you still have to get out there, get your tackling angles, kind of get in the flow of the game. And a lot of times we do see that tackling, usually the last thing to come around for a team that's had a long layoff. So I agree with you on that over 58 and a half. Yeah, and I think this total will probably go up. So if you want to bet this total, I think you want to bet it early in the week rather than late in the week. Um, as far as the side, I don't know really what to expect. I see six and a half, even a seven. You know, if this one gets above seven, I think there's going to be some buyback on Tulane. I don't think Houston can be laying more than seven points here. So definitely my strongest lean here on this one is the over 58 and a half uh, is what I see mainly here. 159 at Pinnacle. Um, you know, I, I don't think that uh, this is a game where we're going to see uh, too much action on the under. No, I don't think so either, especially here with this standalone format on Thursday night, which is why we wanted to cover it for a highlight video here on our ATS YouTube page. And we encourage you to subscribe and listen to the full editions of the ATS radio podcast. All right, so we'll take a little bit of a breather here. We'll do another highlight video once we get to the NFL, but uh, might as well talk about a few Saturday games here in college football before we make that move over to the professional side. And uh, I guess... Why don't we go ahead and start with this Miami and Clemson game, game 317-318 here. We got a lot of hate about Miami when we did a video prior to the Louisville game. Miami has looked apart, but they're getting 15 points here against Clemson, which obviously suggests, you know, what we all thought about Clemson, that for the most part, they're number one in our power ratings, at least for you and I, until we add Ohio State into the mix here in a couple of weeks' time, but I think a lot of people are going to look at this game and just automatically assume that the number is too high. Do you think that's the case? I think the number's about right here. I don't think I'll bet this game. Um, yeah, we have a lot of uh, haters from Miami at this point, and we were wrong about that game. So um, Miami's been 
thought they would be. I knew they would be improved. I didn't think they'd be improved this much so far. Um, you know, this is a big step up in class for Miami, though. They haven't played anybody like this. And I know that Clemson hasn't really been tested yet, but, you know, at Clemson, a tough game, certainly. I think this line's about right. I see a total 63.5 or 63. Um, my lean would be taking the over, but that's awfully high. I don't think I can take over that high of a number. So uh, this one looks pretty fair to me. Yeah, this one looks pretty fair to me, too. I mean, my number on this game is 15 and a half. So it is moving away from my line a little bit. But again, I think a large part of that is simply because, you know, you've got this this Miami team that's looked apart. And, you know, they've had to look apart in a couple of their games, at least for a little while. Whereas Clemson has not had to play a full four quarters really for, you know, outside of, of playing the semifinal and then getting waxed in the championship game. I mean, they never have to play four quarters. They're so much better than everybody else in this conference. So this will be a little bit of a test for them too, I think, especially the guys they've lost over the last couple of years. At higher than 14, I do lean Miami a little bit, even though you know my number doesn't really suggest a whole lot of value. Just because, again, I mean, I, I think now if Clemson has to play four quarters and, and if they look really good here, I'm up in Clemson in my power ratings. If they don't look really good here, I don't know how much I'll hold it against them. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a good point. Um, you know, Clemson here should win this game. It'd be pretty surprising if they didn't win this game. This is a great test for Miami. You know, they've they've played some pretty good teams, but they haven't played anybody at the, uh, the level of Clemson. So I guess we're going to find out if if Miami is, is very good or if they're excellent. You know, they're, they're somewhere in that range. Uh, let's let's find out how good they are. A few other interesting notes here, kind of looking up and down the card, and, and maybe we can talk, touch on this game real quickly. 347, 348, Temple and Navy. First game for Temple. Navy's played a couple of games, and, and you know they, they really haven't looked all that good in the process. Under 100 rushing yards for Navy last week at Air Force, which is just astonishing, to say the least. But now they take on a Temple team that has had ample time to prep for the option but also hasn't played and hasn't had the chance to really go out there and hit somebody other than each other. I mean, I can't think of a game in recent history that I've had this little amount of interest in betting. It, it's just crazy. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. So we're thinking the same way here. I, I don't want anything to do with this game. I don't want to bet temple temples, a team that I'd rather bet against this year. I don't like their coaching staff very much. Um, I'd rather fade Temple than I would back them. At the same time, I don't want to back Navy now. We don't know who their starting quarterback is going to be in this game. Uh, low total, you know, would probably lean to the under, but we're seeing 46 and a half. That's awfully low. I'd have to pass. Florida State and Notre Dame, game 353-354. I ran a query over at killersports.com today. This is the third time in, I don't know how far Killer Sports goes back, but it's the third time that Florida State's been a 21 or higher point underdog. One of them was last year against Clemson. Another one was 2009 against Florida. That was, you know, the, the Urban Meyer years there. So those kind of speak for themselves. But, man, I mean, look, we're talking about a number that's, you know, kind of making history to a degree. And I still want no part of Florida State. No, that's what I was going to say. Do you really want to bet Florida State, though? I wouldn't. Uh, if I had to play this game, I think I'd take Notre Dame. You know, Florida State has looked that bad. 
Um, I feel like we know what we're going to get out of Notre Dame, at least. We don't know what we're going to get out of Florida State. I mean, are they going to um, surprise and impress? I, I wouldn't want to bet on it. You know, I think Florida State is the program that's really in a lot of trouble right now. And I know that, you know, it's possible for them to turn it around. And, you know, it's been a hectic season for them with their coach getting COVID. And, you know, Norvell is a guy that I think is, has done a good job, but this is a really tough uh, coaching job at this point. So it might take quite a bit of time. One last thing I'll note here on the college side, and then we'll transition to the NFL. In FBS only games so far, 49, 34, and 5 against the spread for the underdogs. That's little over 59%. And if you look overall in games, including FCS schools, uh, it's pretty much in that 59 and a half, 59.8% range. So underdogs have been really, really strong. A lot of people will point towards home field advantage. And, and, you know, maybe we've kind of seen that in the NFL with road teams scoring a little bit more and everybody, you know, scoring more, fewer flags, all those kinds of things. D- does this normalize or, I mean, is this just kind of 2020 in a nutshell? Well, I don't think that they can keep going at that rate because then everybody's just going to want to bet on every underdog. But um, I'm not anxious to flip over and start betting all favorites yet either. I don't I don't know that we've gotten to that point. Um, you know, the FCS games are ones that I don't look at as closely, to be honest. So, um, you know, those have been really good for the underdog. Uh, some of those FCS teams can be put in some really good spots against these FBS opponents that don't really care about that game because they just played a big game and then they're about to play another big game. You know, you look at some of the ones like, I'll I'll just give one for example that I think is a a bad spot for a team army this week. You know, why would army care about that much about the Citadel at the same time, the Citadel was kind of used to playing against the type of um, offense that army runs. So big number there. I wouldn't want to lay the points with army. I I think that, you know, underdogs would still be my first look at this point, but I I think blindly betting underdogs, you, you shouldn't expect anything like what's happened so far this year. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think part of this kind of boils down to, like we talked about earlier on in the season, people want to bet teams they feel comfortable with. And the expectation is just sort of that, you know, these teams that, that are favored, that have this expectation, are more trustworthy for a variety of different reasons. Better personnel, better coaching, whatever the case may be. And maybe some of those lines have been a little bit inflated this season. You know, I, I haven't noticed too many that are too far off from my power ratings, but I think that's kind of it is that, you know, maybe some of these numbers have been a little bit high just under the expectation of, hey, we can trust this team. You know, with this weird COVID related season, maybe home field advantage is being accounted for a little bit too much. Maybe it's not, um, you know, hasn't been cut as much to the degree that it should. But, you know, I don't know. But again, 59% for underdogs so far. uh, And and a lot of that, too, I, I do have to preface it by saying this. Last week, underdogs were 23 and seven. So, this is something where it's a little bit smaller of a sample size and last week did kind of skew things a little bit. So it's probably not as lopsided as it sounds, at least for the greater body of work. But again, we'll see what happens here. And maybe it's a conference familiarity thing. You know, maybe we'll see that as the other four conferences get going here later on in the year. But I did want to make sure we touched on that before we moved over to the NFL. Yeah, I think um, as the other conferences start, at the beginning of those other conferences, I would lean to the underdogs when they just first get started too. So I think that'll be something that we want to keep track of as we move forward. All right. So as we transition over to the NFL here, the big story out of last week was we had very high totals, the highest average total for a regular season week in the NFL, I believe in history, or at the very least in a very, very long period of time. 
And the game still kind of slanted towards the over. We saw the number come into play in several games, as you already talked about. I know Seattle and Miami was another game that kind of fell right around the number there. But as we kind of look around this week, some games still very high. Some games maybe have been adjusted down a little bit. Uh, But still, you know, the the scoring is just is up dramatically across the league. It it really is. And it's hard to know what to do at this point, because, you know, it's not in my nature to just want to take a over 57 in the NFL or something like that. But I don't want to bet the under. I mean, who would really want to bet the under at this point? Um, you know, I think that we're getting close to a point where we could think that, you know, we play, see some divisional matchups. Maybe you want to take some unders if you see a high enough number. I still think we're at the point, though, where if you want to bet the over, you want to bet it earlier. We know these lines are going to keep going up. Everybody sees that, especially those 1 p.m. games. And I know that there's nothing really to that. But the last couple of weeks, the 1 p.m. games have just been free overs. You know, the the four or the the post game or the uh, the nightly games, I should say have been a little bit more toward having a chance to win an under. Now, does that make any sense? It really doesn't to me. Why would a one o'clock game go over more than a, a game at another time? Having said that, it's been the case and it also builds the narrative a little bit more because that's when most of the games happen. You know, they happen at one o'clock. We have 10 games or something at one o'clock and go over the total. Regardless of what happens, clock games or the Sunday night game or whatever, people are going to talk about the over and how well it did. So um, I think when we talked earlier about the marketplace, the fact that the total has hit so much in those early games really drives what the marketplace is going to do for the next week. I think that will continue for now. I'm still hesitant to bet unders. However, um, I don't think you can just blindly bet overs and just keep expecting the kind of success that you've been getting so far. You know, I know some people just like to bet overs only. You've been really fortunate to win just about everything so far in the NFL season. I think I'd be careful about continuing to just bet all the overs. Well, I mean, it's more fun to bet the over. You know, I mean, what's yeah. what's the fun in rooting against points as, you know, you and I wind up doing way too often because I know you really like to play a lot of unders, like to go sort of against the grain of the market a little bit. Uh, with regards to totals, but, you know, again, and a big part of it too, is that there are a lot of 1 PM games, you know, there's usually what three or four games in that four o'clock window. Then you get the different primetime games. So, you know, you get this narrative drummed up when the majority of the games are being played. And, you know, I think at some point, and maybe it's this week, totals will get too high out there in the marketplace. And we'll kind of see normalization been a lot of time talking about misleading scores in college football and different box score things that we picked up on. What about some that you noticed from the NFL last weekend, Kyle? Yeah, I thought there were a little bit less misleading scores in the NFL in some weeks, but I did want to point out the Rams and the Giants, 17 to 9, the Rams. And going into it, I wondered if maybe the Rams had dominated more than that. Actually, it was the other way around. Giants had 4.5 yards per play. The Rams only 4.2 yards per play. Uh, against the Giants. Really surprising. I, I guess you would say that was probably just a sleepy spot for the Rams. You know, that was not not a very good spot after they just played two games on the East. They come back home to play a bad team. Um, the Giants averaged 43.2 yards per punt. The Rams averaged 56 yards per punt. We know they have a good punter. That's still pretty strange to see a 13 um, net plus 13 yards per punt for one team. The Giants really have not been able to score against anybody. And I think that's a fascinating game when they play the Cowboys this week because the Cowboys game's all flown over the total so much it's not even funny. But do you think the Giants can score enough points to get that game you know, into the mid-50s? I think it's a really good question. So I, I don't know. The other misleading one I had 
the Eagles 25 to 20 over the 49ers. I think everybody probably figured this was misleading. San Francisco 6.0 yards per play. The Eagles 4.5. Eagles two for two on fourth down. San Francisco zero for one on fourth down. I will say this is one where San Francisco put up a lot of yards at the end of the game. Um, they had to throw and move quickly. The Eagles were back in the prevent defense position making. Um, there and that one really pretty much handed that game to the Eagles. Yeah, and I think something too, and I don't know if maybe you use this to kind of counteract the big pre-flop numbers, but you know, when I look up and down what happened in the NFL over the weekend, and it started on Thursday night, 35 points in the second half of that Broncos and Jets game. Jags and Bengals, 35 points in the second half of that one, 42 points in the second half of Browns and Cowboys. You know, not that this was the theme across all of the games, but you know, 28 points in the second half of Seahawks Dolphins. And only three were scored in the third quarter. 25 fourth quarter points in that game. Uh, we saw, you know, 20 fourth quarter points in that Eagles 49ers game. I, I don't know if teams are getting tired. I don't know if it's just the proficiency of the passing offenses. I don't know if it's teams going back into prevent. I don't know if it's more aggressive, you know, fourth down play calling, something like that. But it feels like there's been a lot of second half scoring in the NFL and in particular, fourth quarter scoring you mentioned Nick Mullins for example putting up some numbers you know in the second half of that game the 49ers moving the ball playing with more tempo this is a live betting in a second half angle to keep a very close eye on is that whether it's you know game state or something else it just feels like the defensive effort level isn't quite there in the second half and the fourth quarters of a lot of these games maybe there's some opportunities to be had as a result of that yeah, sure. It seems like games where a team's ahead by a little bit, that that backdoor cover or the the overcashing by the last score is happening just about every time right now. So uh, I think that could be a, a good live betting angle as you look forward, because, you know, you, you see a team like the Jets that can't move the football all game most of the time. At the end of the game, they've been moving the football very easily to get those overs. Uh, I know last week's game was pretty much a, a solid over all the way. But before that, they, they got the over with the backdoor score uh, two times. I think that's happened in a lot of games here lately. So maybe if you see a blowout, you can catch a live over uh, with expectation that that team ahead is going to play the prevent defense and you're probably going to get the points you need. All right, so just like we did on the college side, we'll do a highlight video here on the NFL side for the Thursday night game. This one between Tampa Bay and Chicago, game 301-302. Buccaneers, five-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at the Bears. This is a total coming down a little bit from 45 to 44, 44-and-a-half. We have seen a good bit of scoring in those Thursday night games to this point, but this total is coming down a little bit. And the side is coming down a little bit too, Kyle. What do you make of that move from six to five and a half with Tampa Bay a road favorite? You know, I think Tampa Bay's defense is really good against the run. I think they're beatable through the air at times. Uh, can the Bears beat them through the air? I mean, because they haven't really shown me any reason to think they could beat people through the air. Look, the Bears team, uh, their record is, is not indicative of what their team actually is. I think everybody knows that. Um, the Bears have no identity on offense. I, I don't think they really know what they should do or can do. Um, it, it changes from one week to the next. They'd rather run the football. They're not really that good at it. Um, I, I think the Bucks are going to make them throw the football. Can they throw the football? I, I wouldn't want to count on it. If you look at Tampa Bay, their offense really showed me something in the second half yesterday. I didn't think that their offense was going to be that explosive. Because if you look at the Chargers defense, they're pretty good. 
defense is a uh, a real solid defense, especially pass defense. So, and they get after the passer. Well, Tampa Bay's offense showed me quite a bit in that one. As I look at this game, um, I don't agree with the line move on the side. You know, I think that Tampa Bay has a much higher upside than does Chicago. Obviously, you're laying a decent amount of points. I'm not too anxious to do that in a game with a low total. Uh, the other lean I have in this game is the under. Uh, it, it's scary. We just talked about it. Um, you know, betting an under in the NFL right now is is really hard to do. And I don't know if I'll bet this one or not. If it's 45 or higher, I would consider it under 45, lower than 45. I definitely will not bet the under in this game. I think that um, Tampa Bay probably plays from the lead in this one. And then you wonder, can Chicago throw the ball on Tampa? Chicago can move all that easily, even if Tampa Bay does have a lead here. So maybe this is one of them that that actually could stay under because the Bears are just that bad in the passing game. Um, the Bucks, you know, to me, I think I know what the Bucks are a little bit more than what the Bears are. You know, like I said, the Bears don't really have an identity. And really, the Bears' defense has been pretty good. But I don't think the Bears' defensive front is as good as it was a couple years ago. They're not the really dominant defensive line. Um, to me, I, I could only bet the Bucks in this game. There's no way I can bet Chicago. And like I said, I, I lean to the under here, too. Yeah, I'll echo both of those sentiments and agree with you there. I about Tampa Bay on a short week with a quarterback on the wrong side of 40. They've got some wide receivers that tend to have a lot of soft tissue problems. I know Godwin's you know, had his injury problems already. Mike Evans, we know he's pretty much on the injury report week in and week out. Usually plays, generally winds up being probable. But with that quick turnaround, you certainly worry about things like that for Tampa Bay. Uh, for Chicago here, you know, Matt Nagy came out today and said, we need to get the run game going. You know, the run game will get our pass game going. And you look for those coach speak things. You sort of look for the coaches to tell you what they're going to try to do. And from the sound of it here, it feels like Matt Nagy wants to put it on the run, wants to put it on his defense and keep Tom Brady off the field. So to me, when I hear something like that and I start playing through the game state and what the game plans are for these two coaches in my mind, it points me towards the under, which I think is why money has started to creep in on the under here. Even though we know Thursday night games have been higher scoring so far, we know the league in general has been higher scoring so far. When you hear what a coach wants to do, then you have to make an adjustment and react out there in the betting markets. And I don't know if Chicago is going to have success running the football, but if he thinks that he needs the run game to get the pass game going, he's probably forcing the run early in this game. And I don't think that's a good situation for Nick Foles, where Nick Foles needs the reps, is with a new team, you know, didn't win the job coming out of training camp. I think Nick Foles needs to be able to throw the ball around. And if they're going to take that away from him, I think that hurts him, hurts his efficiency, whatever degree of that he's going to have. As tough as it is to bet it under in the NFL right now, I think that this is one of the cases where it does make sense. Have live betting opportunities once you see how the game flow is starting to shake out. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that Chicago is talking about establishing the run here because, like I said, um, that might work against some other team. I don't think it's going to work against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay has been really good against the run, even in the past couple years when they gave up a ton of yards through the air. I think their secondary is better than they've been in the past. Their run defense is still very good. I don't think the Bears are going to have success running against them. So if they run the ball pretty consistently in those early downs, I think the Bears could be in some third and long positions pretty often. And like you said, I don't really think you want Nick Foles to be in those uh, positions consistently. You know, I don't think it's all on Nick Foles or Trubisky. I think this offense has a lot of issues outside of them. 
we know that uh, the quarterback play here hasn't been very good. But that's not the only issue the Bears have by any means. So we're definitely taking a look at the under here for Thursday Night Football to start out week five in the NFL on this highlight YouTube video from our ATS radio broadcast. And make sure you listen to the full editions of ATS radio, which you can get on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. Before we sign off, Kyle, I know we ran a little bit long here on today's show with a lot of those college football notes. Anything else on the NFL card that uh, kind of piques your interest here for week five? Yeah, I'll look down, look down the board here real quick and see, um, you know, I, I wanted to take an over in Minnesota and Seattle, and then they put the number out at 58, you know, um, so I'm going to look at that one a little bit more closely. Both of those teams give up a lot of big plays through the air. Still think the over would be my lean uh, versus taking an under. Uh, let, let me talk to you about one here real quick, Indianapolis and Cleveland. Um this one opened at pick. It's up to Indianapolis minus two and a half. I'm kind of kicking myself I didn't take Indianapolis at the beginning here. I think that the Colts are probably the right side here. The Colts' defense has been very good. Look, we, we should say that they have played really bad offenses so far this year. So anybody that's saying, look, this is an amazing defense, the best defense you've seen, um, you need some context here. But I think that Cleveland's defense has shown me enough that I know Miles Garrett's very good, but I don't know that the rest of their defense is great. I, I think that Indianapolis does have the defensive advantage here. So I guess you, you take a look at, at this game. You wonder Philip Rivers versus Baker Mayfield. Both of them have some question marks. I'm curious to get your take on this game. Uh, I will not be playing this game. I will not be using this game in the Circa or really in any context here this week. I, I think there are a lot of questions. I, I think first and foremost, the Browns defense, the secondary has had a lot of injuries. They have had a lot of issues. They've got a good pass rush. They've been getting very good interior pressure. They get good pressure from the edges. But Indianapolis has an excellent offensive line. So we know Phillip Rivers can't move, but he should be pretty well protected for the most part in this game. The second thing is the Browns won't have Nick Chubb. He's on IR now with what I believe is an MCL sprain. Kareem Hunt was banged up going into last week's game, did end up playing, but only played, I want to say, about 40% of the snaps. The Browns used Dearness Johnson, who played very well for them in that game against Dallas, but the Dallas defense blows. And I I made a big mistake last week taking Dallas, thinking, well, you know, offensively they've been pretty good. The defense has not been good. Maybe they just win a shootout here. And in fact, they went out there and lost a shootout. Indianapolis's defense is a lot better than Dallas's. So I do have worries in a lot of different areas for the Browns. However, as you said, the Colts haven't really played anybody. And and that's what kind of concerns me is that Cleveland, for all their warts, probably the best team the Colts have played to this point. So that does concern me a little bit. I think it's a very challenging game. And as I look up and down the card in general, you know, do I want to lay a number with Atlanta? Hell no, because Dan Quinn could be fired tomorrow. And if he's not fired tomorrow, he's going to be fired at some point. Do I lay the Rams going west to east against Washington at almost double digits? No. Do I lay almost a touchdown with a Houston team coached by Bill O'Brien? No. Do I lay Arizona going west to east again? No. You know, as you start going up and down this card, can I lay almost 10 points with Dallas when they can't stop anybody? No. This is a bad NFL card, I think. You've got some very big numbers out there. You've got some uncomfortably large favorites. But you also have underdogs like a Minnesota was last week because Houston's not any good or because Minnesota's maybe improving a little bit. 
this card is a challenge. And it's a different kind of challenge than last week where I just didn't really like a lot of the matchups. This week, I don't like a lot of the numbers. So going to have to find something to play. Indianapolis and Cleveland just won't be that something. Yeah, I definitely agree. This is a really challenging card. I think this is going to be the most challenging card and will probably be the smallest card I've had so far this year as far as the NFL. Um, you know, one other one that's a big favorite, Baltimore, minus 13, minus 13 and a half. I did like Baltimore yesterday. Like I said, I got a push out of that. Probably should have won that if not for the turnover in their own end at the end of the game. But um, Cincinnati, a team that I think could have plenty of backdoor covers with Burrow this year. So I think I'd be a little bit cautious about laying that number with the Ravens. Uh, and this game, there there are some really ugly games, like you said. I mean, almost all of these are big, big numbers. You know, Indianapolis and Cleveland, about the only one that's really set at a small number other than Atlanta. And like you said, I mean, who wants to lay points with Atlanta? I think I'd probably lean toward Carolina in that game. But very, very tough card. Yeah, the only thing I like at, at first glance is Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh off of an unexpected buy. Philadelphia, as you mentioned, misleading final score to a degree there against San Francisco. Pittsburgh's about the only game I like here at this point in time. And as you said, you know, some big favorites. We will get a smaller number for Buffalo and Tennessee uh, whenever that one gets posted. But, you know, even New England's going to be a massive favorite against Denver, regardless of who's at quarterback in that one. So tough NFL card, to say the least. A lot of thoughts. I know we ran a little bit long with today's show, but we did have a lot to talk about today with Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com. What's going on at the two sites right now, man? So always get free picks from the newsletters there at both huntersportspicks.com and bettersportspicks.com. I'm going to be running a special for one month here. You can mention the uh, ATS radio uh, special. I'm going to be doing one month of all football plays for 199 bucks. So that gets you college football and NFL for one month for 199 bucks. If you want that one, you can reach out to me uh, at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter or KyleHunterPicks at gmail.com. Well, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Kyle Hunter Picks. Kyle, appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk to you again uh, actually next Wednesday. I'll go ahead and mention that to our listeners here. Uh, I've got some things to do next Monday, so we're going to move the show from Monday to Wednesday for next week. That will be just a one-week thing. But still, in any event, Kyle, I'll talk to you again next Wednesday. Sounds good, man. Take care. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter, professional handicapper, over at huntersportspicks.com and also bettersportspicks.com. I'll be back on Tuesday with the betters box talking ALDS and NLDS. I'll chat some NFL week five with Brian blessing. Then I'll be back on Thursday with Brad powers Friday with the week five circus sports million picks. I'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.